Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy and welcome to this special live episode of Tape Notes recorded at Signature Brew Brewery in Walthamstow in association with Transgressive, AIM and the MPG. Joining me are Rosa Walton of Let's Eat Grandma and producer David Wrench to talk about how they wrote, recorded and produced the album Two Ribbons. Let's Eat Grandma are an experimental synth-pop band from Norwich consisting of Rosa Walton and Jenny Hollingworth. Becoming friends at the age of four, the pair spent their childhood immersed in creative projects, and at age 13, they began making music together, recording covers from the charts. After settling on the name Let's Eat Grandma, inspired by the popular grammatical joke, as teenagers, they began to turn heads across the Norwich music scene and caught the attention of Manchester singer-songwriter Kieran Leonard, who introduced them to indie record label Transgressive. Initially releasing several singles, in 2016, aged only 17, the pair released their debut album, I, Gemini, produced by Will Twynham. Two years later, having completed their studies, Rosa and Jenny returned for their second album, I'm All Ears. Sharing production duties amongst Faris Badron, David Wrench and Sophie, the album came out to a blaze of critical glory, with fans being drawn in by the daring sounds and compelling lyrics, and it went on to win Album of the Year at the Q Awards. Having toured relentlessly, becoming a festival favourite, the pair joined producer David Wrench back in the studio to set to work on their third record, the result of which, Two Ribbons, sees them approach their music in a different way, expressing the most intimate feelings wrapped up in the different life perspectives of two women. David Wrench is a producer, mixer and musician from Wales. Raised in Anglesey, David's journey towards enigmatic audio guru began at secondary school when he was taken under the wing of his physics teacher turned record producer, Gorwell Owen, known for working with the likes of Super Fairy Animals and Gorgie Zygotic Monkey. Under Gorwell's direction, David learned the ropes of recording, primarily using the school's Atari and four-track tape machine. Initially working small roles in studios to get free recording time, David began to take on more engineering work. This turned into production work and eventually mixing, but it wasn't until the release of Caribou's 2010 album, Swim, that his skills as a mix engineer began to capture the attention of the upper echelons of the music world. Since then, David has gone on to become somewhat of an industry legend, mixing records from artists including FKA Twigs, Frank Ocean, Glass Animals, Jungle and Arlo Parks, among many others. Consistently wearing multiple musical hats, David has also seen success producing records for artists including Marika Hackman, Jealous of the Birds, and most recently Let's Eat Grandma, as well as recording and touring with his own band, Audiobooks. To date, his credits include nine Mercury Prize nominations and records that have seen him named Mix Engineer of the Year at the MPG Awards on numerous occasions. Unfortunately, the hazards that can sometimes come with a live event meant we had a few technical difficulties with the recording, so the audio quality is not quite up to our usual standards, including having to overdub my voice for the questions at the end. But we're sure you'll still enjoy the conversation. So now let's head to Signature Brew to join Rosa, David and the live audience sat amongst the fermentation tanks and other brewing equipment. And what better way to start than by hearing something from the record? This is Happy New Year. in the sky until we meet the sunrise and see the year come into bloom and nothing that was broken can touch so much I care for you because you know you'll always be my 
So it is Happy New Year by Let's See Grandma, the opening track to Two Ribbons. And every time I hear that, and when I've been playing on the radio, you know, I, want, I, I envisage a field full of people with arms aloft. And, and for a second, when I close my eyes, I thought you would all have your arms up in the air, <laughs> raving like you just don't care, which is the right response to that song, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. That's, uh, yeah, lovely to hear that that's been achieved. It, it has in my own private little world. Yeah. I'm um, having my own <laughs> private rave party every day when I listen to that. Amazing. So we're here to talk about Two Ribbons, um, but we could do with a little context and history about the beautiful relationship between Rosa Walton and David Wrench and Let's See Grandma and David Wrench because it goes back quite a while, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. Quite a while, isn't it? So we made um, our second record with David as well and that was probably like five years ago that we met you and started doing that. Yeah, I came to see you at a couple of gigs and you came to the studio a couple of times and just checked that we sort of got on all right. And then we went to Wales to for Rockfield. our first session for a week for our residential and um, had a great time. Well, you were still in school at that point. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Had to, we had to put the sessions in school holidays. Didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we were like 17 yeah. and um, remember we played a lot of tricks on David. David yeah. doesn't really like chilies. Oh, I quite and, like them, but, <laughs> but maybe He can't really raw. take spicy food. <laughs> <laughs> So um, we'd like cook each other dinner every night. We'd take turns cooking dinner and me and Jenny used to hide a chili in David's <laughs> meal every night. <laughs> uh, the last night, yeah. Marta um, yeah. made a really amazing ice cream dessert. Marta was... Full of chilies. Engineering for, for Dave at this point. And yeah, there was just like a, a whole really <laughs> spicy chili in David's. <laughs> I'm amazed that you still carried on to work with him. <laughs> I got well, to, I got to mute toes. and look for them, open up a pizza crust and find it inside. <laughs> <laughs> so you bonded in many different ways then oh, yeah. Yeah, um, around that first album with yeah. I'm All Ears. So when did Two Ribbons start to come together? You know, were you and Jenny working on, on tracks and then send them to David or did you have a, a meeting before that? Yeah, so we started making demos probably like three years ago now. So by the time we did our first session with David, we'd already written the songs that we were recording in that session. It was just pre-pandemic, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It literally, as we started to kick off, and you had a gig cancelled just as we started the session. Yeah, well. it seems like a really long time ago now. Well, that yeah. is two years ago, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was on hold for a bit because of the pandemic, but that almost wasn't a bad thing because it meant we could yeah. sort of go back and write more songs and then yeah. bring them in and do like a week with David recording. Yeah. Yeah, because we did that first session in the February. Then lockdown happened. Mm. And, and then as soon as we could get back in, we, we, could, we knew we could just get into my studio, form a bubble, and then it was... Yeah. We'd have like a week session. And yeah, we weren't we, breaking uh, any rules. We'd be very, very well behaved. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So we're going to look at three songs from the album tonight in detail. And um, the first song we're going to look at is Levitation. And before we dig into your demos, could we hear a brief blaster of the master?
So that's a taste of Levitation as it ended up. It's the second track on the album. And how did it start? Where did it come from? I think it was one of the last ones to be written for the record. And um, basically, like, there was a gap of a, a pop song that needed filling. Very artistic. It's <laughs> <laughs> good to have a challenge and yeah, rise to the challenge. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but I think it started with the... Um, the baseline, which I made using a, a tom sound layered with a plugin of the ARP 2600, uh, which, of course, David has one of the four in the country. No, there's a few more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exaggerating slightly. Uh, David has one of the few real ARP 2600s, but, yeah, I have the plugin on my laptop, so, yeah, made it. Using that after being really into the Jai Paul album and basically trying to recreate one of the sounds as a bit of a challenge because I thought, oh, that's a really cool sound. And then in the process of doing that, I sort of stumbled upon the notes and thought, yeah, this would be like a really good basis for a pop song. I mean, I can play do, the, yeah, the demo. So this is the demo that you made? On your laptop? Yeah. Using this pretend equipment? Yeah. We've got some pretty ropey vocals here. So that is just you singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is. And I mean, amazed. I'm amazed how fully realised that seems to me. Yeah, yeah. They kind of were. Yeah, before we went in, a lot of them, a lot of the. Um, Certainly, the bones were there, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that one of the main noticeable differences is the vocal melody and the sort of the lower quality sounds, <laughs> but it's a sort of. Um, the way that I write melodies is usually sort of mumbling into my laptop and then kind of trying to get a feel for it. But the lyrics are just off the top of my head there that like would have just naturally come out as opposed to sort of sitting down and writing them. And that's always quite interesting to listen back to. So, yeah, at this point it was just me and then Jenny and I decided that we wanted to sing this one together because we hadn't done any songs to this point that we were sort of doing our call and response thing, which was quite a signature on our last record. So, yeah, basically asked her if she wanted to sing it with me, and I, I feel like she really refined that verse melody and made it into more of a sort of pop verse. Yeah, because that's one of, one of the kind of evolutions for this new record is the slight change in the way that you right now yes whereas in the early days you know when you were at the same school you yeah know, in, exactly. in each other's pockets completely and pretending that you were twins yeah uh, <laughs> um 
in those days, you know, it was all together all the time. Whereas now you live in two different places mm. and part of the story of the album in a way is the evolution of your friendship. Yeah, definitely. I feel like what we did bring to each other's songs was, yeah, really vital and, and strong. And we were led by each other's vision, but were able to sort of elevate it, which is like a really nice thing. I think, I, I think just from sort of sitting outside of that, mm. I think the, the point in the album you both realised you needed that from each other is where it really changed and became yeah. much stronger. Yeah. Because I think it was a bit more separate for a while and it wasn't sounding quite right. Yeah. Then once you sort of, there's something happened, there was a bit of a change in the dynamic and that's when it really came to life. Yeah, definitely. What happened next? So you heard this demo, David. Presumably then you booked a session with David, you are going to evolve the song. Yeah. And in terms of how you're going to do that, you know, what do you say to David? Or does he then say, you know what you should do? Well, we'll usually sit and listen and the demos are always really good anyway. You can hear, you know, there's bits that are going to need refining. Mm. And then it's, if I'm producing, so I sort of prefer the demos not to be perfect anyway, because then you're fighting a battle all the time with going back to the demo. So you can hear what's really good about the demo and you can hear what's not good about it. And that sort of makes it easier, mm. really. The basic sounds, the basic ideas are there. So it's a brilliant starting place. It's almost like the first thing you do is I ask Rosa to just give me her multi-track. So I've got everything, I can see everything, see all the parts, see how it's constructed. And some of those parts make it into the final mix. So not all the sounds, so some of the sounds even you go, okay, well, they're not. Well, some of them are layered, but so we've yeah. got the sort of essence of the original sound with yeah. a more professional, obviously David's got an incredible synth collection. Um, would, would you want to replay those things? I mean, say for instance, you use the art plugin. Well, we'd actually, that part, so this one, We tried it on the ARP, but I actually ended up using, um, there's a big synth called a Moog One. Yeah. It's like a really incredible thing. And we ended up using that instead. Yeah. Right. So you just replaced it. Even though it was originally made on the ARP yeah. plugin. Yeah. 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 It just sounded better on that. It had more of a, and I think, see, on some of these things also we used, because it was done in Logic, we just take the MIDI. Mm. So you don't have to even replay it again. It's okay, well, this is fine. It's quantized. It's an electronic part anyway. So you can just run that out through the synth and get a new sound. That's yeah. one of the great things about the Moog, which we didn't have the yeah. luxury of last time, yeah. that you can, yeah, put the MIDI in. Because it's, sometimes it's really difficult to play things yeah. exactly the same as you did originally. Yeah. And so, we, you know, like we'd go through... You know, that's Rose's original part, this, this loop. But then we'd sort of add, we'd add to that with, you know, like a real 808. like a real 808 kick and stuff you know that's so we take these parts where the rhythms are all they're all sorted anyway and they were i think we moved one thing around once we started talking and but then it's just sort of then beefing those up you know but also still trying to keep the essence of the demo but then expand on it that's one of the things that david's really good at is like enhancing the sounds that are already there and making slicker and better versions of them yeah. No, sometimes we also take a step back as well, because sometimes you'll make it better and you'll make it slicker and you'll listen back and be like, well, it's lost something. Yeah. It's too slick now. And that's why slick. it's always really nice layering yeah. in the original. I yeah. Think. Yeah. It is. And sometimes it goes back to the original and go, actually, do you know what? That, yeah, that, just... We've gone down this road. We've got all these fancy, expensive synths, but it doesn't sound as good. And you've got to be able to like 
it's important to be able to see that when it happens. Yeah, as well. that more professional isn't always better. Like no. I think that's a really nice thing when yeah. there's like lo-fi elements in tracks mixed in with the more hi-fi and that's yeah. like yeah it makes it really interesting texturally and just more real yeah yeah you're making it sound as if it was all quite quick though in terms of you know from the demo to the exploration of making these sound stronger like with, it was really it with was, some tracks it was yeah. like this one yeah. i think came together relatively quickly for yeah. sure and in a way, the more electronic ones were probably a bit quicker to some degree. Yes. I remember with Inset Loop, I yeah. did a guitar take and then at the end of the session, you were like, yeah, you need to go home and practice that. <laughs> <laughs> so I practiced it for like a month and then, <laughs> and then came back in and tried again. <laughs> go home and do your homework, Rosa. <laughs> That's brilliant. Insect Loop is one of the other songs on the album. Has it got an insect loop? Because I was listening to it today, and are those real insects? We won't hear them today. Oh, uh, it's it's not real insects, right. actually. It's just like a sound that I made using Granulator, which is an Ableton plugin, and sampling a, a key part of another sound and then like playing it in on a keyboard. So the name Insect Loop is just because I like to name demos quite visually with what I say and that was insects yeah but it sounds it sounds like insects you know and I had this vision of you out in the Norfolk countryside yeah. you know, with a microphone recording and thinking wow I know it really gets quite tropical in Pretty Norfolk much. in summer yeah. <laughs> kind of pretty amazing. cool insects but, um, Levitation had a different working title it was called Drum Loop yeah very original <laughs> we probably should rename that one would you be able to take us through the parts as you added them David then with the let's have a look what we've stems. got here So it's just layering loads and loads of different stuff up. Some of it takes quite, it's quite quick, and then some of it we'd sort of, we generally work really quickly. Yeah, There's, yeah. No, there's not much messing around. That's and what is that machinery sound then that's in the background of it all? Oh, that's, no, that's, that's yeah. the brewery. Oh, that is the yeah, brewery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's those. <laughs> but maybe we should have put it in. Yeah, I mean, it sounds It sounds great. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Need to record sort that. Sort of the house record <laughs> <laughs> remix. <laughs> There's all these layers of various bits from the demo, drum machines, a bit of everything. And then, then the main Moog one. And I, I guess once you've been solidifying these sounds, getting them right, then you would start to think about the vocals and about singing yeah i mean the vocal parts were usually written beforehand but the lyrics were like always like a bit of a struggle to finish it was always <laughs> sort of directly before the day that we'd be recording that both jenny and i would finish our lyrics and we kind of needed that deadline to actually do it i think because it's for me definitely it's something that comes less naturally than the music so we'd be like in our Airbnb at night trying to like write them. And in terms of this song, because you'd kind of said to Jenny, look, let's work on this together. Let's have a two vocal mm. song. And you know, was it going to be call and response or, or were you going to sing together or a bit of both? And did you then discuss the lyrics in those terms, how that would relate to having two voices? Yeah, yeah. I think we 
quite quickly decided which bits would suit whose voice. Like, for example, in the demo, I don't know if we got to the chorus, but I'm attempting to sing that really high part. But basically, like, I think I knew even when I was writing it that that was much more within Jenny's range. And she's got a higher range in her chest voice, which means she can, like, properly belt that part. Whereas for me, it was like... so yeah I was like that's your bit and I'll do the more rhythmic bit and then we had a sort of shared google doc of lyric ideas that we'd bounce back and forth and add to basically and yeah this is the only one that we really properly wrote the lyrics together on and um, that was yeah pretty fun yeah and that would have been very much more the case in the past Yeah, I mean, we used to just sit in a room together and literally like bounce off each other word for word, which was really good at that time. But I think now we've had such different experiences and want to write about such different things that it makes much more sense to write separately and then bring our ideas together. But it's interesting because even a lot of the words and themes we used kind of like echoed each other like it was only at the end that we really realized that yeah which works in songwriting doesn't it yeah yeah things around kind of like naturally all came together yeah could we hear some of these vocals well i could play all the vocals together actually because there's not much layering in this i'll play the verse going into the chorus So that's Jenny. Yeah, that's Jenny. <laughs> Shoots and stars in your direction as I'm losing that's me. grip on my reflection. And I'm calling for so Everything feels so amazing when our bodies float like levitation. I think the main thing we did on nearly all the album, it wasn't bit, 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 line, line, line. You'd sing whole takes. Like we'd maybe like sing it five times the whole thing and then we would chop between takes, but it would usually be like two standout takes and you just go between those and then maybe fill in a line, yeah. anything you hadn't got. Or come, even come back because we were doing lots of little sessions. I'd made a note of what the vocal mic setup was, but mostly it was done from like long takes. Yeah. Um, we should work our way to a climax with levitation by maybe building through the parts, David. Yeah, the... I mean, actually looking at it here, I'm surprised with how it's not that much on it. For a track that sounds quite full, yeah. I think we made sure that whatever sound was on there was big. Mm. And so we didn't need many sounds. I think that's one of the things that I was thinking about initially when I was writing it actually that I really wanted like all of the different parts the riffs and the bass line and the beat to all really sit in their own spaces and also like I wanted to write a verse without any chords because that makes the vocals sit in a really interesting space because usually the chords take up like loads of the frequencies in the mezzle and so yeah, the vocal sort of interacts with the bass and the drums in a different way. There's little things we've done, like layer up. So these sounds here. 
which sort of sounds a bit pretty daft, funny really. themselves. It's like really sort of like popping trumpets yeah. and whether we'd have layered up on various mellotron sounds. Yeah. But then within the context. I think because if we mute these, I think it becomes obvious. It actually sounds flat without it. It hasn't got any attack on the notes. It's got these synths. So once you add these in. It's subtle, but it's enough to give stuff an attack. It's always cool with things like that to have them low down in the mix because yeah. it, if it's like a full trumpet part, you've got to be really cautious yeah. that it's not just like sounding funny, but yeah. <laughs> for a layer, yeah. it like yeah. really adds. Yeah. And then we've got this. Which we then added this really distorted, gnarly yeah. version of it because we just felt it wasn't cutting through in the right way. But again, just distortion's really good for that, but like putting it on one layer or on, in a minimal way to just like give it a bit more bite, but not so it's like a heavy metal song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we've just got just little sort of synth notes that we've run out through into, into like a sort of Mellotron samples of stuff. So sometimes it's just layering the same sound a few times, one in a more gritty way, one in a, in a nice clean way. That was a layer that I put in in the demo just to like basically make the melody stronger. Um, and that's like a trick that I often do in choruses is just like, yeah, layer the vocal melody with a sort of lead sound and it just lifts it. Mm. And then we've done that. I think that's my Elka Synthex, which is like this old uh, 80s Italian synth. And I think a Juno there as well. So yeah. we've got those two different sounds. And they're both, again, subtly behind yeah. the vocal. A little bit of side chaining. Yeah. <laughs> side chaining's always good for just like making it more dancey and uh, creating more space again. Because the, the synth drops in, well, when the kick comes in. But again, it's subtle, it's in there, so it feels the track's got movement, it feels like there's pulsing happening under the vocal, and it's... I mean, we, we definitely did quite a bit of arrangement stuff as we went on, you know, let's mute this, let's do this. There's, there's moments in the song. Sometimes it would be just things like one little bass drum or a, like yeah, a bass note, or like that bass note's not right going into the chorus. Just, I always think tracks should have these key moments, these sort of moments of change or moments of anticipation or moments of release. Getting those right is like half the battle of the whole thing. If you get those tiny moments spot on, then yeah. it just makes the whole thing come together. I think that was in the second to last chorus that yeah. you suggested dropping it out just to think it's just the vocals and the pads in there. Would you be able to yeah. hear that, David?
soft entry into the chorus. Yeah. So you've still got another gear to go. And then we add even more later on, those high string notes come in even later. So this always, you don't want to have it hitting a plateau for too yeah. long. Yeah. Um, I think we should round things up for this song. So maybe if we hear a, a, a frenetic end sequence with yeah. everything in and you're firing on all cylinders. <laughs> I mean, it was that the idea that you'd come just end in this big crescendo? Yeah, basically it's like the synth solo at the end. <laughs> <laughs> So welcome back. The next song we're going to look at is Sunday from Two Ribbons. That's the one you've gone for, Rosa. So, so actually, before we start that, maybe I should ask you about this evolution of the way that Let's See Grandma works. Because um, I think one thing we can tell from the songs we've already heard is that there has been a musical evolution from, from I, Gemini, through I'm All Ears, and now Two Ribbons. And you have got much more into production yeah. and, and exploring that world of things yeah definitely and how has that had an impact on how you create i feel like with some of the songs especially the next two that we're going to talk about the production almost came first before the even like the meaning of the song it was like um kind of way to like get out the feelings that i wanted to get out before i was able to sort of put them into words and I found that like a, a really good way to write. I always really like it when the um, the meaning and the images of songs are kind of echoed in the production and it kind of creates like a whole world. And yeah, especially with Sunday that we're going to talk about in Hall of Mirrors, I think that was sort of what I achieved. Yeah. And I mean, my impression, say, of the early days of the band would have been that you, know, you had these keyboards at home that you know, fiddled around with, yeah. got some sounds, and then gone with that because that's what you have. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, with a computer at your fingertips and a world of sounds to explore, that changes the possibilities, but also could phase you because it could be too much choice, too many decisions. Yeah. I mean, it definitely opens up more doors. Double meaning of the word doors. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very tech joke. It's very good. Yeah, a very nice joke. Um, Especially for tape notes listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, we studied music production at college and um, that was around the time that we were making the second record. So I think over the period of time between that and this record, I just spent like a really long time writing loads of songs and really sort of refining my production style, but not in so much of a deliberate way, more in a way that I'd just be writing loads and that would kind of come naturally. So Sunday's the next song we're going to look at. Shall we have a listen to The Master before we go yes. into how it began? Your hands in 
So as we can tell, that's quite different mm. to Levitation and Happy New Year. Yeah. It's definitely another side of the band. And the whole song, it's really tender and beautiful and glistening is yeah. the word that comes to mind when I was listening to it. So you say that it kind of started with you exploring production. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's basically uh, written about my breakup with my ex-boyfriend and I wrote it before we'd actually broken up so in our shared bedroom in our flat in London and it was almost like my way of sort of like preparing myself for the breakup which is kind of weird because yeah that's very much in retrospect like at the time I was just sort of like getting all of these feelings out and I think the sort of um yeah, you were saying like tender and beautiful. And I think with this one, I really wanted to sort of um, make the sound palette really warm. And the reason for that was because at this point, we were feeling like very cold and distant towards one another. But I was like longing after this warmth. So it's basically about like, yeah, looking back to a time that, I did feel warmth towards him and he did feel warmth towards me and longing after that. And there's something about the sort of pretty sounds like the glockenspiel and there's some wind chimes in there that kind of, yeah, make it extra sad in a way, I think. Are you able to show us the demo? Yes. This was made with you in bed on headphones yeah is this is saying? probably me like crying into my laptop oh, <laughs> classic When you make a demo like this, I mean, do you put down an instrument first or do you do it all a few parts together? Yeah, I mean, this one actually started on guitar and then I sort of built the beat around that. And then afterwards, yeah, layered in the pads and more of the like sort of world creating production sounds I guess like the there's some glockenspiel coming up and stuff like that so they would have all been layered on top after yeah so that initial moment would have been you with your guitar yes it would which is like oh it's so cliche <laughs> 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 oh, it's break good. up <laughs> it's hands on though it's hands the on is, there's something about a guitar I think the sort of rawness of a guitar which really lends itself to like a breakup song but the other thing I think about guitar music is that it really kind of opens up what you can talk about lyrically. Sometimes like synth pop can get more restrictive in, in that sense and guitar music can kind of, yeah, open up more possibilities for lyrics. So what's the home setup? How would you have recorded these sounds then? Is it all just plugged directly into uh, the laptop? Yeah, it's very unprofessional. I mean, like the guitar will probably literally just be like, yeah, through an interface with the pickup and then the vocals are just 
into my laptop, just like singing. So not even a separate mic? No, 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 I don't bother with microphones. I'll leave that to David. I know David's going to be able to do this so much better, so I'm not even going to, I'm not going to try. <laughs> would you play the guitar and sing at the same time? Or would you? No, it would be written at the same time, recorded on my phone, on voice memos, and then the guitar would be played in, and then I'd, yeah, sing yeah, over the top. Right. Then, voice memos have transformed yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Changed how music's written. Yeah. Voice memos. Everyone uses them. Definitely. I remember that story about um, Fleetwood Mac song. Basically, like, yeah, she wrote it. Stevie Nicks, I think, wrote it in her hotel room. And because she didn't have voice memos on her phone at this point, she had to just continue playing it on her piano and singing it all night and not sleep. That's <laughs> because she knew that it was, like, really good and she had to remember it. Yeah, there's none of that now. <laughs> <laughs> but then I remember hearing an interview with Lavi Sifri where he was saying, well, I'd write a song and if I couldn't remember it in the morning, I'd think, well, it wasn't any good anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was his test. Yeah. So are you suggesting that there's both a positive and negative to this and that every song gets remembered because of voice memos? Yeah, that's just things they're not all that good. I think it's yeah. just the difference. It's almost like a sketchbook because even in back in the 80s, like, I don't know, someone like Marky Smith would carry around a, a dictaphone to just leave weird messages into and they're quite good reference points when you either know you're working on a song and you're just keeping a record of it, I guess, or sometimes you just put some chords down and then at a moment where you need to create, where you're a bit like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? You've got this list of stuff that you can go and look back and go, oh, yeah, that was good. And it's often the subtleties in it that make it really good as well. Like you can remember the basic idea of the chords and the melody, but then you listen back and you're like, oh, no way. Like it's (laughs) that bit that makes it good. So... You took this to David then, or did you take it to Jenny next? Um, yeah, I took it to Jenny next, and Jenny wrote the vocal lines in the chorus section. So that's Jenny singing. Yeah, that's Jenny singing. Her words or your words? Uh, her words, yeah, that's that's completely her singing over the top of my instrumental. And when she did that, I was like, yes, that's perfect. Like, that's very much the one. This was quite late on, wasn't it? Yeah. This was the one that I remember. I think I kept texting Jenny. Jenny, have you written a yeah, melody yeah. on Sunday yet? Because <laughs> I think we'd actually got going on recording it, hadn't we? Yeah, definitely. And it yeah. was the end section of vocals as yeah. well, which we call the bridge, yeah. um, which... I basically had an ending for, but it was the melody was nowhere near as good as what Jenny wrote. So, yeah, I was round her house at the time and played it to her in her bedroom and, and said, Can you come up with something over this? And it was the first thing that she came up with, which is something that Jenny's really good at, is mm. like a first yeah. take thing. It's yeah. always, usually, it's the best, the thing that comes out first. And she kind of took it off into this sort of more vast space, I think, taking it further away from the instrumental. My melodies more stick close to it. And so, yeah, at the end, it kind of just like soars. And I absolutely loved that. Do you have that section there on the... And that was in a demo, was that with... Yeah.
So this is in Jenny's house in Norwich? Yeah, yeah, just in her bedroom. Was... And would you explain the whole context of the song? You probably would, I suspect. Yeah, this... definitely. But I think we kind of both wrote about about different things on the same song, which is something that we've definitely done before. I guess the main theme and connection here is loss, but she was writing very much about her own situation. Mm. But it just worked, and it's just like, yeah, such a heartbreaking melody in the best way, I think. And I remember her being like, shall we just do another take? And I was like, no, no. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so then... What happens once David gets to hear that and Jenny's answered his text and saying, yeah, I've done it, mate. Get off my back. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, some of it we were, um, I remember at one point you came and you were working in one room in my studio. I think there was one point where I went away where you were working in there. And there was another point where I was in, I was mixing, it would have been like Hercules and Love Affair and Spiritualized in one room. And then you were in the other room and occasionally you'd be like, okay, we've got something. Okay, so we could swap. I could just switch off from mixing and do a bit of recording. So it wasn't like a pressure of, because yeah. it can get really pressured if everyone's sitting around going, okay, yeah, we've done what, everything, we do now we've got to wait, wait for you to write a lyric. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's the worst, that's not the way to write a lyric. So yeah. I just said, well, I've got loads of other stuff to do. I'll just go on with it. You'll be in there. And when you're ready, call me and I'm ready. So it was a more chilled way of working. So how did you finally record this song then, David? Again, we'd do the thing, of take, I brought in Rose's demo and sort of deciphered it. That is the loop from the demo. But then it's really, sorry, I'll get this in. But then it's really beefed up. Oh, there's some real percussion there as well. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say about that. I feel like that's one of the things that really took it into the space of being just like more like a song is the the live drums. To get that groove with with real, real drums, real percussion. Yeah. We've got quite a good drum recording technique, which is basically like <laughs> me playing in all of the drums separately. So I do like the hi-hat and then David yeah. will be like, do that again or do the snare or... So it's like a deconstructed drum Yeah. Like, so, okay, do the hi-hat part and we'll just do that. So, Because if you're not a drummer, it's impossible to make a no. drum kit sound good playing it all together. You know? So we got like... Uh, the tom on its own and then we got all these separate parts the midi part was all written first so it was like yeah this is how I wanted it to sound but then you wouldn't necessarily know that it wasn't all well, yeah. and the midi part, <laughs> well, and the midi part can sound really stiff, but yes, it still yeah. has like a looseness to it. Definitely. So then we sort of add it in to the other stuff. With the shaker that isn't as sort of tightly stored. I can always like quantize bits of this. Oh, so yeah. where the snare can be like absolutely bang on, but it's still a different hit every time. So it sort of brings a... And then you leave some things like the hi-hat's a bit looser. So it feels like it's um, giving away a secret now. I do that. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm, I'm not a drummer, but I do that on my own records as well. Like so having things quantized, but not to 100%, yeah. so to like 80% or something, yeah. so that the real feel is still in there. Was this one of the ones where I, 
I literally bought like a bell tree. So yeah, yeah. For the session. Yeah. I remember David sent us a text of him just like being a wizard <laughs> playing the, the bell tree. Because it we was got a, excited. It, it, it would always be, it was often a comment on Let's Grammar. Yeah, what it needs is a bell tree. Yeah. Like, no other band asks for that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's quite, it's quite can, irregular. Can we hear the bell tree? <laughs> yeah, me and Jenny just like, really like, Anything oh, there we go. glittery. <laughs> We've got to hear that isolated, haven't we? <laughs> oh, we made a Beltry sound on a synth as well, yeah, didn't we? Yeah, is that on the Moog? Yeah, we built a Beltry sound. We like, I'll make a bell sound. We went off down some programming. I think um, that's, that's something that we had with the last record as well, just like all over the songs is basically one of us running our finger up from the bottom to the top of the keyboard <laughs> and then like loads of delay. <laughs> we call it the glitter. <laughs> and then we obviously, one of the biggest differences is the guitar. So we've got this yeah. beautiful old 1940s Gibson. Which then has a real groove that, that yeah. you know, it was natural, just really locking that in, making it sound natural and double track. And it just, once you've got that, we use a real, yeah, we use real bass as well. Put that with the drums. And then is it just a matter of then, then you just add the vocals and then? Well, there's, there's quite a few layers of so there's this pad sound, which is a mixture of the demo and a, and a profit. I've actually labelled it on this one. The last track when I was looking, I was like, oh god, I didn't label it. <laughs> so, how do we round up Sunday? What more is there to hear? It's got quite a few little elements on it. We've got your vocal, which is like the big chunk of the first part of it. It's a Then there's bits where it really starts to fill up with, with a bit more. I think we used the Mellotron as well in yeah. the, the next bit, which again, I'd written a choir part for quite a few tracks in my demos. And yeah, when we got into David's studio and David had like a, a real Mellotron, that was pretty cool. Is there a sax solo on this on this track? There's not actually. That is, is, a, that? is a common misconception. <laughs> <laughs> it's in fact a Moog One synth sound. Yes. That Moog One, I'd only just got it at the point we started the album as well. So it became, yeah. it's, it's on a lot of it. Such a good synth. It's incredible. Like the best synth yeah. ever. That and the Alpha, I don't need the others are just <laughs> decor because it, <laughs> it just gets used on everything. So maybe we should hear those Mellotron choir parts and maybe that, that, that sax. Oh yeah, a bit of an electric guitar There's a bit of, a bit of strat on this as well. Yeah. I always think the, um, 
the choir adds a, a sort of human, well, like a yeah, human-like quality, which always makes it really emotional. So I'm like, yeah, really big fan of putting choir parts in songs yeah. for that reason. It's yeah, yeah. Well, it works. Extra emotion. Yeah, yeah definitely. Just like something about having lots of different voices singing at once. But actually, the glockenspiel is a real glockenspiel yes. layered with some synth glockenspiels. We've got that like synth one, the real one, which is a bit more sort of clunky. Yeah. Again, it's good to get the sort of attack of the real one, but then the the body of the synth one mixed yeah. in there. What else have we got? Oh, that's the real Selena. So that's What's going on in your head. Break into a hotel and have a meal at the breakfast buffet. That's an intriguing line, the breakfast buffet. <laughs> it was a real event. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell us more? <laughs> I think it, it's basically the sort of um, when you're at the beginning of a relationship, the sort of uh, freedom that you fail to do things like break into a hotel that you're not staying in and eat at the breakfast buffet. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because, yeah, you have this sort of confidence. Like, yeah, the next line is you'd make me feel invincible. So... Yeah, it's kind of about that. But yeah. I think that happened in Paris in a gig that we were doing on our first ever tour when we were 17. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, yeah, this is sort of Mellotron stuff as well. Quite orchestral at parts. Like yeah. a little brass coming in. And again, that sort of takes it out into a bigger space, having um, a full orchestral part. <laughs> yeah, makes it more dramatic and emotional I think yeah definitely so how do we round up Sunday is there a climax that we can build oh, there's to definitely, yeah, there's told us that it's a heartbreak song but you've brought in all these other things obviously jenny's bringing in her own story too yeah. but you're also bringing the story of your, the two of you together egging each other on stealing yeah. food whatever <laughs> needs to be done <laughs> in the wonderful adventure of leslie grandma <laughs> i think that's always really nice when there's like multiple layers of meaning in a song and um you listen back months later and you realize that it could not only be about one thing, but another situation with a person. And yeah, I think that's a, a really nice thing. It's kind of a way of like linking together different aspects of your life. I think that's what this record did for us at the end when we um, we sat and listened through it all with David. It was the first time that we'd had all of the songs sitting 
together in the order that they are on the record and yeah both of us are just like crying at the end it kind of like just yeah made everything make a bit of sense in a weird way that's good it's quite interesting that how when you listen to it all together it has a completely different effect yeah it hit us all emotionally in a different way definitely it was was very um you also get so into working on a song you're thinking in a different way when you're working on it Mm -hmm. but when you have a final listen back to an album it's an emotional listen and it hits you you, that that's when you realize if you've got what you're really after because music's about emotion and yeah, that's that's the point you realise, have we nailed it or not? And there's so many heavy subject matters on this record as well that it's just like a lot emotionally to hear it all at once. That's why we put in the interludes. <laughs> <laughs> nice reprieve. <laughs> and that links nicely into our interlude because we'll take a little break and we'll come back after the break to have a listen and a discussion about Hall of Mirrors. Welcome back. The next song we're going to look at from the new album by Let's Eat Grandma is Hall of Mirrors. So where should we start with this one, Rosa? Yeah, well, this one basically started with a a loop that I made on a drum machine that my tour manager let me borrow, uh, which is the Dr. Rhythm Boss drum machine. So to solo that is this. So I made this loop um, and then I kind of set out to write a dance track off the back of that, basically. So then I brought in the chords and kind of wanted to go for a sort of underworld born slippy vibe with that. So like big delayed stabby chords. Yeah, and I think the all of the reverb and delay really like takes it out into this sort of big emotional spacey sort of thing and then yeah again with this one the production sort of came first like I at this point I brought in the bass line and I didn't know at all what I wanted the song to be about and then I think through sort of again mumbling into my laptop I sort of came up with the meaning but based off the production so for example the line hall of mirrors i think was inspired by literally the kind of echoing sound of the delay which is like a reflection bouncing yeah off a so mirror. the bit that we just heard or- yeah so yeah to play you the sort of So what you're suggesting is that you started fiddling around with the reverb and, and started to get this this reflective sound yeah. that made you think about mirrors Pretty and suddenly much. Hall of Mirrors comes into life. I feel like it was kind of more subconscious than that, mm. but uh, on reflection that is very much the process. Like, this is a song um, I see is a very visual song uh, and a lot of that imagery came out of the production, I think, as opposed to the production being informed by the lyrics. Yeah. And I had um, this imagery of a fairground, which we made in the video, that I just felt like was a really good metaphor for what I wanted to talk about 
in the song, which was my sexuality and discovering this new sort of portal to another dimension, which was like, yeah, realizing that I fancied women, basically. Right. So, I mean, I think it's pretty amazing to hear about that, just in terms of how sounds connect to your brain and lead you on your own personal discovery in a way. You know, you're thinking through a subject and suddenly the idea of reflection and mirrors, images bouncing off and then and suddenly you're thinking about yourself. And, and yeah. I don't know, it's intriguing and interesting to hear how sound can trigger that. Definitely. I think the sort of, yeah, overall fairground imagery, there's a sort of like excitement of that, which is almost like a bit of a childlike excitement when you go to the fairground. And yeah, trying to recreate that and even a lot of imagery that I see which isn't in the lyrics, but sort of educated the lyrics in a way. So um, at what point did you feel like you've got a demo completed? Or did you then play this to Jenny to get her take on it? Yeah, so I played this to Jenny. And when I played it to Jenny, it was fully formed, except this middle section, which was just like really long instrumental. And I said to her, can you do a sax solo over this? (laughs) (laughs) Which she did and was amazing. And then the other thing Jenny added was some backing vocals, which again, I feel like just like took it off into a a bigger space. She's singing um, sort of an octave of what I'm singing, but then kind of elaborating on that. And it, yeah, really lifted the melodies that I've got in there, I think. And and did she do all that for the demo or did she then applied that yeah the, she did recording. that basically i sent her the demo and then she sang over the top and sent it back <laughs> yeah, so what, could we hear a bit of that or is that possible or oh i don't know if, I don't know if i've actually got her i think they're only on her laptop right. so i actually don't think i've got that <laughs> but you might have the the final recorded version yeah. of both yeah. our vocals together yeah so then presented with all these demos then David, you know, yeah. you go back, as you were explaining earlier, to the demo and load yes. it in and then start to work out what you need to do. Yeah, this one, it looks like we've done quite a bit on it. I was obsessed with it. I kept hearing, I think this is when I was like, I can hear a discord in this. I can hear oh, a yeah. funny. And I was driving you crazy. Like, now there's a funny note in this. I can't, it's driving me nuts. This <laughs> is something that me and David always argue about. This is like the one thing that we, that we disagree on that I think I've written a really like inspired clash card. And David's like, no, it's wrong. <laughs> I think we have a sort of back and forth yeah. for a bit and then one of us gives in yeah. or we, we have some sort of middle ground of like I usually track it down to something like oh it's this delay going on too yeah. long so I'm still hearing this chord from here the clash is okay it's just we've also got a third chord I'm still yeah, hearing because I'm hearing this delay and <laughs> if we stop that we are fine so take us into it David yeah let's have a listen yeah I can hear that it's less massive delays it's yeah. a bit more concise with that yeah which definitely i think we we took quite a long time to find that balance that we keep sort of going back to the original demo and yeah be saying it's not delayed enough but then yeah i think we managed to get it more refined than the demo yeah so we got those but we filter delays i think it's like make sure the delays can all be like bright and airy 
Because once they get into the mid and bass range, it all just becomes this mush and you lose the drive. So it was trying to get that balance between the drive, but also the ethereal. And it's, it's always hard to do that, that mixture of floating, but pumping yeah. and driving at the same time. So let's have a look at what we've got in terms of drums. I'd not long got the real 808 at that point as well. And there's just, there's something about that thing that just sounds amazing on everything. I don't know why, because it's just an old bit of gear, but the real thing just sounds different to any copy. It sounds different yeah. to a plug. I don't really know why, because it shouldn't really do, but it has a bit of life of its own. And it just, it just gives this punch to stuff, you know, you've got. Then we added some um, rail drums as well. And I think the ride cymbal particularly yes. made it really shimmery. And um... and then we got the, we layered up the bass. So we've got. That's like heavily side chained yes. bass as well, yeah. which is another uh, really good dance music feature that I wanted to make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in terms of, I mean, how, how would you explain side chaining for anybody here who might um, not yeah, quite understand? Yeah, basically it's, um, so whatever you've side chained it to, so for example in this it's the kick, which is the most common, whenever the kick sounds, the bass frequencies drop down at that point, so they sort of make space for the kick, and then that's just like gives it more of a groove it allows the kick to like punch through. yeah there's two different types so they have that like compression side chaining and the other side chaining is where it actually lifts that frequency when it's coming through so it's you can use sort of both to quite a, an interesting effect where frequencies are pulling in and out or instruments are pulling in and out linked to something rhythmical that's happening so they really interact with each other instead of competing yeah thank you for that explanation yeah. <laughs> um what have we done? We've got... We put some electric guitars. Yeah. guitars in the chorus, which again was in my demo, but I think we sort of took it to a new level in the studio of really distorted to make it like drive and be really gritty. I think that was uh, another thing that we sort of took to the extreme and then had to pull back, that it yes. was getting like too much of yes. a guitar song, yes. which wasn't fitting with the verses and the pre-choruses and we sort of rein that in. Is this so heavy? Yeah, it's heavy. Listen <laughs> to this. Sounds good. Yeah, it's cool. It's quite a, yeah, it, it went that way at one point, didn't it? It went yeah, to like it did. massive grunge chorus. And it was like, no, this yeah, <laughs> not really the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Dance grunge, has that been done? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you don't know what's going to work, though. That's the no, other thing. Yeah. Like, that could have been amazing, and you've kind of got to experiment with it first and then sometimes realise that it's not. <laughs> yeah, you've got to try it out. Big pads of synths. Profit by the bit. That's definitely And the the thing of this bit is that it's one note through the first half of the chorus, and then in the second half of the chorus, it's a note stepped up, 
which really lifts the second half of the chorus. Yeah. But you wouldn't necessarily know that unless you were listening to the stems yeah. because it's like really buried in there. But it's kind of like a, a bit of a trick to make you feel like it's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> Is it possible to hear that trick? Uh, give me one second. I think it was like a trick that I accidentally stumbled upon as well. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so you got this list throughout the whole track there's all these subtle mm. introductions of different sounds as they go along and, and david in terms of recording the vocals for a track like this yeah. then so because you're introducing all these different sounds and you want the vocals still to stand out you want them to still come yeah. through so people can hear them and how do you approach that and how do you record Rosa and Jenny, I mean, what kind of mics do you use? I think I set up a couple of mics and we tried you on, on them and found out which one was working for the session. So I've got, I've got this one called uh, a TLM 49 Neumann mic. So it's quite a big, large diaphragm condenser. It's not a super posh mic, but it seems to really suit slightly quieter female vocals because it, it adds a warmth and it's not too harsh because I find something like EU87 can be a bit harsh on certain vocals that have a lot of high frequency anyway. Well, actually, it's quite interesting because I listened back a couple of days ago to the second album and your voices have changed drastically yeah. since then. They're they've really like warmed up anyway. Squeaky mice before. Just much, they've just lowered what <laughs> they've warmed up. So it's, yeah. And this mic we used was warmer anyway. And... And what, would you use the same microphone for Rosa and Jenny? No, we had two different mics. I, actually, I think it was Jenny we used the... The, the TLM 49 for because her voice is slightly brighter anyway, isn't it? And then yours, we used, I had another Neumann valve or a Telefunken valve. So I think we used a valve mic on yours to add a bit more of that harmonic stuff into it. And I recorded fairly simply. We just wanted it to be a nice, clean vocal sound going in. And then we'll sometimes run it out through stuff. But we, on all of these, there's not any real trickery going on with the vocal. We haven't like layered hundreds of parts together or loads of tracks, loads of pitch shifting stuff. It's quite natural. It's an emotional album. So we wanted to be emotional vocals that are, are real. And then how do you get it to sit in the right place with all the sounds that you've created uh, and all the music? Bit of mixed trickery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it's sculpting out frequencies, working out where the vocal is. I'll try and bring the vocal in fairly early. So it's not, this, this track was particularly tricky because we wanted it to be as much wall of sound as possible, but the vocal also had to be clear. So I'll automate every word in terms of level. I'll sort of ride the fader. There's compression on it. I'll sometimes change the EQ for certain sections. I'll figure out where the key frequencies of the vocal are for intelligibility and sculpt them out or even duck them out of other instruments that might be getting in the way so the vocal's always there because you don't want the vocal to sound like it's on top and separate from the music mm. you want it to be in the music but clear are you able to play the music and illustrate that in any way or i'm trying to think let me have a going to remove the automation for a sec this is it without any automation just like flat 
and then I'll put all that back in. Yeah. And you'll just see that the intelligibility, it's, it'll still be in the track, but you'll just hear it. So that's automated, but after you've done all the adjustments to that's it. That's it. So it, it's just really getting that presence in there. Because it, it, especially on an album that's so lyric-led like this, you've got to hear the words. You need, you need to be able to hear it. But you don't want it to be so much so that it's like... Um, that the vocal is just dominating everything and you can't get into the groove of the music or dance to it either. So yeah, you want to have it like submerged yeah. in the music, but not to the point that you can't yeah. hear it. Yeah, it's such a crucial thing because yeah. you need to feel the emotion of the performer mm. and really lock in with them. But yeah. at the same time, getting that balance right, it's really tricky. Um, mm. We're going to run out of time. So I think we should wrap up Hall of Mirrors to enable... Me to ask the regular questions we always ask on tape notes of people and then also open up to the floor and get some questions from our beautiful audience here. Should we just have the blast of the master of Hall of Mirrors? Yeah, I'll play a bit at the end of it. Yeah. And I of you And I wasn't a girl that made me shine So I talk to you It was at this point we had further technical problems, so unfortunately we can't bring you the full final section of the show from Signature Brew. The good news, however, is that we have managed to rescue some final pearls of wisdom from David and Rosa to share with you. As I'm sure many of you regular listeners will be familiar with, this would usually be part of the podcast where we ask our recurring questions, the first of which is about the gear they use when creating. What is an essential piece of kit that they can't live without? First, we turn to Rosa. Oh, that's, yeah, a really difficult question. I guess I'd probably just say, like, my laptop, (laughs) 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 which is, like, kind of a bit of a coverall basis answer because you can just do so much with a laptop. And also, yeah, I'm not ashamed to say lots of the Logic presets, which, with David... I've managed to sort of like take to the the next level and the more professional level, but a lot of the original feelings and sounds are made out of logic presets and uh, particularly the alchemy, which I'm looking at right now, which is like my go-to for, yeah, really cool sounds. And sometimes I'll like, there's like four different sounds in the alchemy and sometimes I'll like replace one of the presets with, my own voice if it's like a choir sound or I'll edit the patches but yeah there's no shame in presets brilliant honesty from Rosa about her favorite gear and now over to David yeah I think if my studio is burning down I'd grab I'd grab the hard drive with all the projects I'm currently working on I think it would be the my, <laughs> before, my before you're 600. Life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably my up to 600 Although 
as Rosa was saying, she heard the other day about how I was in a venue that was flooding and I went to grab the pack of Pringles so, <laughs> <laughs> that was backstage. I was, I was, I was hungry. What a tricky dilemma. Pringles, ARP or hard drive? The second question we like to ask is about advice, if they have or have been given any advice that they live by. David initially reflected on his previous Take Notes episode with Marika Hackman and possibly our favourite advice so far when he asked the writer John Savage, what do I need to do to get it together? To which John replied, stop being so stoned. Clearly it worked. He now brings us the words shared with him from the legendary musician Julian Cope. I think the other one was, was Julian Cope told me I nearly... I nearly gave up on doing the sort of production and music stuff because it wasn't, I'd had a couple of jobs pull out, I'd had a couple of months with no work and I couldn't meet my rent and it was like, oh, this is like stupid. I was offered a, a job doing something else. And I was like, oh, maybe I should take this, you know, and maybe the time has come where this is not working out anymore. And I was still doing a bit of work with Julian, playing music with him. Um, and he was like, oh no, look at yourself, you're unemployable. Look in the mirror. No, you wouldn't last five minutes. Stop, stop kidding yourself that you've actually got another option. You haven't. So you've got to make this work. So that's the other one. It's the, not having a safety net can be really good sometimes. Realising, OK, I haven't got a safety net. I've actually got to make this work. I am unemployable outside of this. It was, it was actually quite good advice. Strange advice, but good advice. <laughs> I love that. I guess, from one unemployable musician to another, possibly. Uh, Julian Cope's wise words to David. And now, Rosa. Yeah, I feel like uh, don't be afraid to be, like, unprofessional in terms of, like, not coming up with the most slick sounds or, like, following music theory and stuff like that, like when me and Jenny started the band, it was basically just like us playing keyboards that one of them was from like my friend's dad who worked at a school and the school were getting rid of the keyboard and it was an old Yamaha keyboard and that like formed the basis of our first record. And um, I think just like use what you have. You don't need the most expensive gear. Obviously now we're lucky enough to work with David who has got the most expensive gear. But, you know, the original ideas were still formed on, yeah, our laptops, all those keyboards. And yeah, you don't have to do things the proper way. And I always think you're definitely better having a good take or a good idea on not the professional equipment yeah. than a bad idea or a not-so-good idea on all the equipment in the world. And I'd much rather listen to a record of that. I'd rather listen to, you know, a vocal recorded on a laptop with everything, yeah. you know, with all the presets, where, you know, much rather listen to that with a good idea and a good song than, you know, something that's like a slickly produced song that's not really got anything yeah. or not saying anything. Yeah, it's the character that's yeah. in those yeah. rough sounds and... The essence of it, I guess. And now we go back into the room at Signature Brew. Thank you very much to Rosa Walton and David Wrench for being here today. And thank you to you for for being our audience here at Signature Brew. Thank you to Signature Brew. Thank you to AIM and to MPG for supporting Tape Notes. Very much appreciated. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I would love to hear a round of applause, please, for David Wrench and Rosa Walton. Thank you so much. And a big cheer for Let's Eat Grandma. 
two rhythms. The album is out on the 29th of April on Transgressive Records. We're going to play one more piece of music as a piece of outro. Um, and we've mentioned it. It's the title track of the album, Two Ribbons. It's the emotional closer to the record. Quite a contrast to some of the th songs that we've already listened to today. But um, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Drop when you're taken